uh, those doors open and it's it's over for a lot of those guys real quick. All right, thank you for tuning in to the first ever episode of the first ever 12 Midnight Podcast. We are the Theater Cleaners. There's a little bit of a backstory behind that name. Uh, I grew up, first job ever was cleaning movie theaters and that's actually how I got into you know, being a big fan of movies and eventually pursuing a career in the industry, which it's it's a it's a fun industry for the most part. I mean, we both work in it, so you could probably add a little bit more to that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, similarly, my beginning was not being a theater cleaner, but I love the story, so we're sticking with it. Oh, we let it ride. Yeah. But a little bit about what we do here. We're a couple of film guys who both went to film school, and we love every little thing about working in film and watching film, and so we just want to watch some influential movies, give a little bit of a our first thoughts on everything that we see, rate it, relate it back to the industry a little bit, and, you know, kind of talk at length, be fans a little bit. Yep. Try and see if we can, can't get everybody a, a little bit of a reference or give some insight into some films you might normally might normally watch. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, our, our point of view of movies that, like you're saying, we think are really influential, but a little bit from film school, a little bit from film, and a little bit just of ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And today we're going to start it off strong with an absolute classic. I yeah. think a lot of people out there have probably already seen this. And if you haven't, I mean, what are you doing? You're living under a rock at this point. Yeah, it's definitely a banger. This is a good movie. I like it. It was one of my, originally my, one of my favorite movies to actually watch when I was younger. and Probably one of the ones that got me into filmmaking. Oh, absolutely. So today we're going to be sitting down and talking about Saving Private Ryan. The 1998, yeah, 1998 Spielberg film. And you know, there's a little bit of history there, and uh, one of the really interesting things about the the movie, especially right off the bat, is the realism behind Definitely. it. Yeah, there's a whole lot of gore. There's a whole lot of realism in like how they shoot the action sequences, like how energetic, how confusing, how hard it is to really picture what you're doing at at that moment, right? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, they they pay attention to a lot of details all throughout the film. And I think that's one of the things that's like pretty great to see and like really grounds it in reality and lets you know, like, hey, this is what people were going through while they were, you know, in the war. Like, yeah, that was a, a main staple of a lot of people's events was going in through D-Day and coming into Normandy. Yeah. Not to mention how realistic it was for the D-Day, the D-Day scene and and really the rest of the movie was um, I think we talked about this before, but how. A lot of there was there was like real counseling like there was a whole hotline set up for veterans to to call into after watching the movie because it would it would trigger the PTSD which sounds like bad for a movie to trigger in people but shows you how how above and beyond the realism in this movie really went to uh to show that like war is war is hell oh war is hell and I mean in the past we've also watched uh you know all quiet on the western front and one of the main differences i picked up between this movie and that one is all quiet on the western front it takes a takes a little bit to pause and kind of explore the beauty within the war and this movie is just war is hell man like it's not all fucking finding great moments within it it's just gritty and it sucks like that's kind of the vibe it was giving me like the whole time like they have nice moments between each other nice interactions with like their brotherhood but I mean, overall, though, it's just shit is raining down on them. Yeah, definitely. It's one of those movies that doesn't it it doesn't show war and like, yeah, war's cool. We like being heroes. It's just everyday guys going through the shitty shit that they just really don't want to do. And you know what? It's that's what makes it feel genuine. 
mm-hmm. the dialogue also makes it feel really genuine is because you're listening to these guys talking like these are not heroes. These are not classic heroes. These are just everyday guys that were fighting World War II like they really were. Dude, and I mean, when they're about to, like, right after it cuts to that opening scene where they, where they are storming the beach, right after we go through the, uh, you know, Memorial Cemetery or whatever, right when they're in those boats about to, like, land on the beach, you get a close-up of all of the key characters, and it doesn't do anything but humanize them a little bit for you. Because it's giving you a close-up of people freaking out that, holy shit, we're, we might not all be making it through here. And it gives you like a really good instance to see all of these characters before you get to like experience their journey alongside them as a viewer. Yeah. Not to mention it shows a bunch of people that you never see again. Oh, absolutely. Real quick after that moment. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those doors open and it's, it's over for a lot of those guys real quick. Um, which is another cool thing. I say cool. It's another interesting thing about this movie is how fast it is with its like action it doesn't linger on characters deaths much it just goes and they're like oh and that's like a dead. that's a part of the realism honestly mm-hmm. because it's like hey you have to move on you can't linger on this or else you might be ending up right by your buddy over there you yeah. know so it's it's another thing that like ties in the realism and i think they did a really good job of that um another thing i really wanted to talk about though is the scale like especially oh, yeah. with that opening d-day scene and it like once it's finishing up and they're starting to go into the trenches and get into those like machine gun bunkers, you know that moment when it cuts back and you see all of the the battalions out on the beach and they're all marching and there's all the zeppelins and the ships out there. Like, yeah, a lot of that might be like painted in or CGI or whatever, but they had people on those beaches. Like, there's yeah. tons of people, tons of money sunk into this opening scene, and it, that carries throughout the whole film. Definitely, I think I think that I read somewhere that budget for the D-Day scene was like $11 million. Oh, I 100% believe that. That is an insane amount of money. In 1998, too. So that $11 million goes farther than it would now. So now it would probably be, I don't don't even want to guess how much money it would be to shoot shoot an equivalent scene nowadays. Oh my God, it would be so much. Was that 22 years? 23 years? 24 years? Oh my God, 24 years. Almost might be 25 at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, But even then, like, I guess the only comparable to it was like 1917 was made fairly recently and yeah, it's not as grand some of the times. Like it's like they utilize open fields and all of those kind of spots to make sure that it's like able to be within the budget. But for the same kind of money, like they still did a war film without half the scale of it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's interesting to bring up 1917 because one of the reasons why Saving Private Ryan is so influential is the way it shot its action sequences. Oh, absolutely. Earlier, they poured a lot of money into it, but also um, before there was there was a very distinct line in war movies before uh, Saving Private Ryan, and that was kind of, it showed the gore, it showed the horror, but like battle sequences were pretty, um, pretty cleaned up, pretty legible. You could mm-hmm. you could watch them and kind of understand them, and they weren't so chaotic. A good word is like fog of war, like you don't actually know what's happening until Saving Private Ryan kind of revolutionized how how a lot of these combat scenes are shot. Nineteen seventeen is a great example of this influence this movie had. Twenty twenty years later, about it it has this still that that style of fog of war, crazy, un easily like understandable battlefields because it's like it's how they are they're not easy to be understood it that influence is still being seen from the movie saving private ryan which i think is really interesting along with other movies too 
Well, yeah, and, like, even then, for, like, an example for anyone out there who's, like, seen the movie, right on that first D-Day scene, like, right when Tom Hanks gets to the beach, all of the sound kind of fades, and it's that high-pitched ringing, and it's, he's seeing everything happen in slow motion and watching all of these people getting blown up, chewed up, whatever, but then once they start moving their way up the beach, the camera shifts from being, you know, kind of static or silky movements to it goes to fully freehand and shaky and it gets people engaged and it's like oh shit stuff's going on like you're moving along with the character and it's not clean it's so shaky that it feels as if you are a part of that scene as a viewer yourself yeah the camera at that point becomes a character it 100 percent does and that's that's a it's a great usage of the camera a lot of a lot of times people will just put the camera still and let the action play out and you can see all the action on the grand scale but it doesn't make you feel like you're there. You're watching it as an outsider. Like an example of that's kind of like the old Lord of the Rings movies. I guess they're like, never saw them. But Lord of the Rings movies, you never saw Lord of the Rings. Never once. I own all three on DVD. An ex girlfriend gave them to me, and I've uh, I think I've watched the first hour of the first one like three times to give it a fair shot, and I have never once gotten into it. So I'm sorry about that, and I'm what? sorry to any fans of that movie series out there, but. It's it's just not for me. Well, I definitely love Lord of the Rings, and they're great movies. And I'm not what I'm about to say isn't a dig at it. It's just a different perspective. They have big grand battles, and they have wide angle shots of these massive battles, which are very cool in their own right. But it makes you feel disconnected from it, right? Saving Private Ryan didn't show you any large scale of the battle until after they already took the took the bunkers on the beach. So you're right there in it. You feel that that energy. You feel that power. You feel that chaos going on while you're there. And then they're like, step out. Oh, hey, this is what we just did. Instead of, oh, hey, this is what we're going to do. And then do it. Well, that's also a good part of like the realism and like getting the viewer to be invested within it. Because it's like, if they're not going to show that grand scale of things until like the battle is over, that's very, like, that's great storytelling because it's, they want you to be invested. They want you to be a part of it. But it's also like, hey, when the battle ends, the character or like the camera is still a character in that sense. So it's like when the battle ends, all of these soldiers get to kind of take a breath back and, you know, kind of subtract themselves from the equation a little bit. And it almost acts as if the the camera itself is doing that. Yeah. Along with the very first scene of an unnamed character at the beginning, we don't know who it is, right? But after watching the movie, we all know it's it's Private Ryan, right? Well, it says Private Ryan, or it says Ryan on his back sack, or his backpack. On his sack, he's face down in the water, and it says Ryan on the back of it. So as soon as you watch it, you're like, yeah, no, 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 I'm something about the, this is... Yeah, a big thing for the movie. That's a little X mock in a moment, like oh, yeah. Hey, there's roll credits. There it is. Uh, but <laughs> uh, what I mean is the the very first scene where Private Ryan, the one who survives, his he's walking through the cemetery with his family and he breaks down. That first scene, along with the D Day scene, show you that the movie is not talking about the war, but it's talking about the soldiers. Oh, it's talking like, the it's a it's a story about people within the war it's not a story about the war yeah yeah it's really and then throughout the whole movie it continues on with being about the soldiers not about the war oh it's always about the yeah it's about the characters themselves and it does like a really good job early on in like giving each character a brief moment to kind of let you into their like personality and letting Mm -hmm. them let the viewer know who they are right off the bat so it gets the people invested and it makes them feel like they're a part of this group yeah definitely so that first scene where he's like breaking down in the cemetery it's like oh the war's over. We already know the outcome. We're not worried about the war. We're worried about how did he get to this point? 
why is he breaking down? And then boom, flashback. Oh, right. yeah. And then it's the whole movie. And in the end, it comes back to him at the cemetery. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's a really it's a really interesting way of setting up a film is framing it within itself. Right. And I don't know what I just thought of this when you said flashback isn't super weird because it's a flashback from everything that's not his point of view until the very end of it. Once, you know, yeah. Captain Miller and his crew all meet him. That's his part that he knows. So it's like with that, it's like he knows these two soldiers had died on like the, the route to come and get him. He finds out their names and everything like that, but he doesn't know every detail of the whole story. So yeah. it's kind of like recounting what people have told him and from all of these people that are now long gone because it's, you know, it's like 40 years after the war ends when he's visiting the cemetery and he's rethinking of all of these and it's like a flashback um, that's talking about stories that people have told him. So it's kind of also become like those stories themselves are a little bit of a legend at this point. Yeah, it's a little bit Dr. Calig- Caligari-esque where you're starting with the end Mm-hmm. And then going back to the beginning after that, and then you're wrapping it back up in the end, which is a nice way to set up a film. Mm-hmm. It gets you invested really quick, and it's kind of a bait and switch moment. You think it's you think it's Captain Miller, you think it's Tom Hanks, right? When they when they fade in, and then it turns into his face in the in the the landing craft, and then it's not. At yep. the end, spoiler alert, he dies. Well, and then yeah. he's the one in the grave. And it actually is Private Ryan. It's a really nice wrap-up. It's full circle. It is. And I also want to give a huge shout-out to the casting department for finding the old man who played Matt Damon. Like, Matt Damon's character, that's the old man in that, for literally 10-plus years, I thought it was just Matt Damon and prosthetics. I did not know this was an entirely different person. Really? 100%. That's pretty solid. Fun fact about that guy, he was actually 14 on D-Day. That guy, yeah. So it's, I mean... It's damn good cast. It's pretty close, yeah. It's really close. I mean, only a fraction of years would really make a difference, especially with him being, like, the younger of the Ryan brothers. Like, mm-hmm. it makes you think he's 18 when he first goes off to war, and he'd been there for probably two years. Yeah. Well, probably less than two years, actually, because... I'm not exactly sure the timeline. He might have been a fresh paratrooper that jumped in on D-Day. Oh, I think he was. Mm-hmm. Um, But the, the reasoning for saying that is because when he's telling... When it's uh when they're in the one town, once they found Private Ryan and it's uh Private Ryan and Captain Miller sitting down during like a brief lull, uh Private Ryan's just like I can't help but like I can't remember what my brother's faces are like, you know, and then that's when uh Captain Miller is basically like, no, you got to put it in a context so you can help visualize that and everything yeah. like that, and that leads him into the story of the last time he saw his brother. And he goes, that was two years ago, and that was actually, like, the night before he shipped off to war. To basic, yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a really interesting moment in the movie, um, along with others beforehand, but this is, like, the longest, most extended one, that you really see how natural, like, the dialogue is perfectly written. It's oh, so natural. so well written. It's so natural. You feel like, you know, these guys, these are just normal guys that have normal lives. They're not heroes. They're not just soldiers. It, you really get connected to these guys you really understand their story and it's really interesting it's uh it's nice to watch because you kind of forget about the war while you're listening to that story you're like oh that's a funny story like he's talking about his brothers haha like he's gonna go see his never mind he's not gonna go see his brothers because his brother's all dead within the entire story and this is something i picked up i'm like watching this uh watching save and private ryan this was probably my fourth or fifth time watching it so it's like i'm starting to pick up on more and more details which is also 
for anyone out there, always, if you're trying to learn from a movie, watch it multiple times because you will always pick up on something different. Definitely. Same thing for like when you listen to a song, you're going to catch a line that wasn't something you caught before. Definitely. Same principle. But there isn't any wasted dialogue throughout the entire film. Every single thing circles back into like a part of the story and it makes it have such a deeper impact for you as a viewer to be able to sit there and be like, okay, I can remember this moment from earlier on. And it's tying back in and it keeps you invested and it hooks the viewer into like investing fully into the film. Definitely. Uh, to go on with that point with the dialogue is how natural it feels. When they're giving exposition, it doesn't feel like they're giving exposition. They're not just giving you background info. It, they're having a conversation and you're learning about the characters through that conversation. Like one of the moments in the movie is they're talking about how they're trying to guess the captains, Tom Hanks, backstory like what where is he from what did he do before the war and there's a bet on it and then you kind of learn about that character right away he hasn't shared much mm -hmm. he hasn't shared that kind of personal stuff with the soldiers because he doesn't want that to he doesn't want that to in the end it's it's he thinks he's changed as a person but that's not important to their mission and you kind of learn about his character and what he's sharing with the soldiers but they shoot the shit all the time but for some reason that's kind of kept secret so you kind of learn something about them without it feeling like exposition like oh he's a private guy he doesn't want to be here he doesn't want to do that well it also ties back into when they first set out searching for private ryan and all the soldiers are griping mm -hmm. it's the same thing as the line of gripes go up they don't yeah. go down and it's kind of the same principle of like he wants to share his stories with his equals and he wants his men to not know as much about him especially once he like because Ultimately, once he does reveal what he does, where his past is, everything like that, it's kind of like, how did you get from what you were doing then to where you are now? And like, mm -hmm. he does, he does change and he has changed. But I think part of it is he wants to have a certain respect by being sort of vague with who he is. And he just doesn't want them to question anything about him because the, if they start questioning him, they're going to question his leadership. Definitely. And the film does a really good job at showing those emotions, showing those feelings without explicitly saying them. Oh, absolutely. And it's also one of the great things is the the reoccurring theme of his shaky hand. Mm -hmm. Like, his hand is the only thing about him that's shaky or, like, ever quavers. But you know, so. quavers He's in war. Right. I mean, I get it, but it's also, like, if you're in command, you want your, your people to know, like, hey, you got this, you have your head on your shoulders, you're steady, and you're willing to lead everybody into combat. And I think once everybody sees that when he's holding the compass and they're looking at the map and the whole crew is around him and they see his hand shaky, they all kind of have that questioning, like, are you good to do this in their eyes? But it's also a little bit of a respect of like it humanizes him to them as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, another thing I was going to talk about was how the cinem cinematic moments in this movie. There are a few moments... It doesn't really focus on it too much, but there are a few moments that make you feel like, damn, that's kind of cool, right? Uh, one of those moments that comes in my mind the most that I always think about when watching this movie is, well, there's two. The first one is when that door opens in the D-Day scene, the landing craft door opens, and they just get shredded. I'm like, that's wild. Like, <laughs> I could not even imagine that. That's the closest thing I could ever come to experiencing that i don't want to experience it but that's the closest thing i could ever come to experiencing that and it's kind of a wild crazy whole sequence really mm -hmm. and the other one that i think is kind of more really cool and the one that i think about more often when i think about saving private ryan is it's kind of a dumb moment 
to be honest. It's like, that's a little movie moment, but it's a cool movie moment. And movie moments are always welcome to movies. Uh, is when he's dying, when uh, Tom Hanks is dying. Captain and Miller. Captain Miller. When he's dying and he has his 45 out, his 1911, and he's just taking pot shots at the tank. It's doing nothing. You know it's going to do nothing. And then on that one last one, just boom, the thing blows up and then the plane flies by. It's like, oh, shit, that's that's cool. Dude, so that moment when the when the plane comes flying in, that's such like such a great moment of like relief of just like, okay, the story doesn't end here because as he's shooting that tank, you're literally sitting there like, okay, how does Private Ryan end up back at this gravesite? Like way like you know you know he's supposed to end up there, so it's like, how does he get out from here? And when the plane rushes in, it's just such a like a wave of relief of like okay, I don't have to question this anymore. I know exactly how he gets out because all of the reinforcements come in and save the day. Yeah, along with that, that relief, it's also like a little bit of regret. Like mm-hmm. if they could have just lasted, a f- if they could have lasted five more minutes. Oh yeah, or right. even then if Captain Miller, like during that one explosion, if he didn't drop the detonator for the bridge because he died because he was trying to go and get the detonator basically. Yeah, there's moments of regret in this movie. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, not to mention just those those two quick moments, but more deeper moments. Um, I forget what his name is, but the medic. <laughs> when they're in the church and he's talking about how he would try to stay up and wait for his mom to come home so he could just talk about his day with his mom when he was younger. And then it gets deeper and then he explores it more and then he realizes that sometimes his mom would come home early just to talk to him and he would pretend to be asleep. Yeah, and I mean... How he regretted that. And earlier we said there's no wasted dialogue, and that was one of those moments that once the medic eventually does pass away, mm-hmm. his last thing is he's he wants to go home, he wants to see his mom. And I think that's that made that scene hit so much harder than it would have otherwise. Yeah. And like I said earlier, a little bit earlier, they don't really... They don't wait. They don't, like, let characters' deaths linger mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, but there are moments where their death kind of drags out. But in the moment, it's not like they're dragging out for extremely long. They're like realistic times that they're dragging out. Like he got shot. They're trying to fix him. They're trying to save him. And then he just, he's like, he knows he's dead. He got shot in the liver. He, know he, he knows he's going to die and he's in the medic. He understands that. Not everybody does. And when he asked for morphine. I was just about to say. Everybody goes, oh, he's just dead. Like, yeah, and just knows he's dead in this moment. That's that's when you know, like, that was one of those key moments for me in that whole film was, like, that's one of the things that I had never picked up on before then. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, he knows he gets shot in the liver. He looks up at everybody, and he's like, more, more morphine would be nice, basically. He was like, yeah. hey, like, I know I'm going to die. Please let me die, like, kind of peacefully. And everyone around him has that same look of, like, Oh shit. Oh shit. We yeah. know this, but we accept this and we'll get you that, dude. And like you are one of our brothers at this point. Like we want you to go out in a in an okay way. Yeah, and it makes that moment that he had in the church talking about his mom and how he regrets just pretending to be asleep for what he said was no reason. Yeah. Which let's be honest, we all kind of done that before. We've had like little Absolutely. things where we're like, why did I do that? Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, without a doubt. And that and that just really shows those those moments of regret. It's like He's never going to be able to change that. It's always just, he's always going to have regretted it and there's no solution to it because he died. Yeah. And it makes those moments hit so much harder. Dude, I I will say like this time I viewed the film in such a different way that like 
I'm not gonna lie, the ending like really fucked me up when it got back to the cemetery. Like I, I shed a manly tear, like you know that single teardrop coming down. I was like, yeah, that's followed by a lot more after that. Yeah, you try to suck it back up. You're like, no, no, this ain't okay. Yeah, this is this is warranted. Cause it it genuinely got me because I I got so invested in all of these characters and it's like, God, it's just such a good way of like keeping the viewer engaged and it hooks you for so long. And I mean, it's a two and a half hour movie, but it doesn't feel like it in any way. Like it's just entertaining and it buys you in and it keeps you engaged. And there's there's just so much about it. And I mean, Spielberg has always been such a good storyteller. Like any one of his films, I would always say they're not like. They're not necessarily the most cinematic, but they're damn good stories. Yeah, they're not. They're not all necessarily like. They're not all movies that are going to be like, damn, that's the best cinematography that's I've ever seen. That's the best. That's the best whatever I've ever seen. But their stories and their worlds are all very. They're insane. Very and insane. Like, like Indiana Jones, straight up good. Yeah. Whole world, you f- you feels like it's real. Saving Private Ryan, it feels like it's real, along with the feeling like it's real. I don't know if you want to move on, but. The costume design and art design in this movie. No, oh, phenomenal. Spot on. Oh. Sorry. I'm going to talk about something real quick. No, this is kind of a sidetrack that, like, ties this in a little bit is, you know, Spielberg makes, makes Saving Private Ryan great film, but there's so many similarities between that and Band of Brothers, which he ended up making two years later. And, you know, who's the uh, other executive producer for that alongside Spielberg? Tom Hanks. Absolutely, yeah. So it made me think, hey, Band of Brothers either was concepted or started getting written in the pursuit of making Save It Private Ryan. And there's a lot of like tie-ins that look very similar. And I feel like even then, they would have used some of that wardrobe and all of the realistic elements that they have for that and just brought it over to Band of Brothers and got to explore this topic of brotherhood even further because the translator for him, of them, dude, I did not enjoy him for like 99% of the film. But he's starting off, one of the first things we find out about him is he's trying to write a novel, and when they ask him what it's about, he's writing a novel about brotherhood and how war ties people together and creates this sense of brotherhood. Sounds yeah. pretty fucking familiar to Band of Brothers, dog. Definitely. I think Spielberg just kind of has a... has a. Uh, I know he was approached for Saving Private Ryan. It wasn't his story. Someone, they wanted him to shoot it. Uh, well, direct it. Um, but he, he really likes the topic of World War II and he really likes making World War II movies and he does it in a way that he talks about the soldiers. Mm. It's like Saving Private Ryan's like a love letter to his dad. His dad was a soldier in World War II. Um, yeah, his dad his dad fought in World War II. Um, I think in Burma, I believe. All right. Sorry about that, y'all. We just had a brief interruption from an invader from outside. They kind of came in and stormed Normandy on us. It was a good old USPS just dropping off a package, but they kind of came in, invaded our space, and started to trying to conquer a little more land than they should. Ridiculously uncalled for there. I know. It's almost as if they're, like, you know, invading a whole country. Yeah. Wild. They didn't have enough manpower for it. We, we put them off. Um, but talking about D-Day. There was some interesting points back about like the historical kind of like Easter eggs almost of D-Day was um, right after the U.S. captures the bunkers. You're talking about the Czech Nazis, aren't you? Czech Nazis. Yeah, the Czech Nazis, dude. That is such a like, that is a moment that I think anyone in cinema could pick up on, except 
one of the key things is uh, I watched this one with subtitles this time. Really? So it said they're, re- they're like speaking Czech instead of like German? Yep. Yeah. So interesting about that is, right, the Germans constricted soldiers from places they conquered and made them fight. And you see Americans shoot those guys with no remorse. They have oh, no ideas. They don't, zero. they don't care who they are. They see they're wearing a German uniform, so they kill them and they don't have any respect. Which is a war crime. They were surrendering. Um, it also, fun thing on that, is it lets you know that the Americans were also committing huge atrocities during this war, but it was justified because we won. Justified is, is an answer for it, right? Just unanswered for is really what, what it was, is because we get to write history. Yeah, straight up. All the history books, Yeah, they're written by the victors, so... That's another thing that's interesting about this movie particularly and how Spielberg kind of um, talks about war is a lot of war movies are just straight-up propaganda. Absolutely. Objectively. No, I agree. Whatever. Is is that a problem? Not necessarily. I mean, you're making a movie about your country that's kind of like most things are propaganda, let's be honest, and nobody's immune to it. Um, but most movies are just straight-up propaganda. An example of that is like American Sniper. Like, oh, that movie is 100%. about this guy, and we're, and everybody's point of view is like, oh, this guy's, like, so good, he's saving all his soldiers, whatever. This movie, Spielberg really talks about how all sides of war, bad shit happens. That's also similar to how All Quiet on the Western Front was, was handled, mm-hmm. is nobody's completely innocent in war. And this is an example of showing you, like, first of all, you have to condition your soldiers to absolutely hate the enemy to fight them effectively. And it sounds awful, but that's kind of true. You can't, like... No, people aren't normally ready to just, like, murder a bunch of people, like, without absolutely hating them. And that kind of shows you the culture around World War II, what was happening. Yeah, I mean, even then, like, if you look back into, like, any actual history, history, it's like, if you remember on, like, the the Pacific side of the, like, the World War II theater... Like, the way we were creating propaganda against, like, the Japanese and all of the different, you know, posters and everything and how they painted the picture of those people were just, like, looking back on them, it's horrible. But it's what the U.S. government was releasing here in the U.S. Yeah, same same for the Italians and same for, for the Germans also. It was just, like, really super racist, xenophobic stuff. But in that time, you're kind of conditioning your people to fight a really atrocious war against some people that you think are doing some really bad stuff. Yeah, and I mean, at least... Conditioning them. Yeah, and I mean, at least it's kind of phrased as if we're fighting for the greater good. So, I mean, there's a little bit of, like, right and wrong. And, I mean, there's right and wrong within any war. And you can justify just about anything if you talk about it long enough. Yeah. But, um, and I think what this movie does really well is it kind of talks about how us Americans are not are not away from, we're not infallible yeah. in, in, our, in our ways, right? So... Well, right after the the medic dies, this is another instance. Like yeah. the the Czech soldiers that are like the Czech Nazis. The, the two the two Czech soldiers conscripted by the Nazis to defend D Day. Mm-hmm. The two American soldiers gun them down. No remorse. Yeah, and then or it, crime. It comes down later on down the line after the medic dies, and they're at mm-hmm. that radar site, and they have the one Nazi still alive, and then the Nazis just basically like 
I love America. I love America. Starts singing like fucking Steamboat Willie, and he's like, "Fuck Hitler, dude! This guy sucks." And they're just like all wet, like ready to kill him. But mm-hmm. Sergeant Miller has that kind of like wave come over him because fucking of him. This is like in his ear, just like, "Hey, man, this is wrong. This is- you shouldn't do this." Yeah. But I mean, it's also like up and pick up a fucking gun and actually do something in this war. Goddamn. Yep. But Upham still has innocence when all those other soldiers don't. Straight up. Yeah. It's just because he hasn't been in it. He hasn't picked up a gun since basic. And yet he's over on the freaking Western Front. Like, dude, yeah. get out of here. I think something about Upham's character that's just interesting is being able to speak somebody's language also humanizes them to you. Right. Oh, so he speaks German also. So he's German and French. Yeah. So he sees these people as people versus the other soldiers. They don't speak German. They hear the German shouting. They don't give a shit what the context is. Uh, same with the soldiers on D-Day. They don't give a shit what they're speaking in Czech. They don't even know it's Czech. Mm-hmm. They don't know it's not German. Yeah, they you can't see, tell the difference. They don't, give, they don't give a shit. So I think that's a, that's an interesting moment to see. Although Upham has not done anything, right? He still also is like, he kind of, he has his innocence, but he also like understands what he's saying. He's talking to him. Instantly humanizes him way more. Mm-hmm. And then there's just moments of just like, no remorse, no hesitation, just straight up like kill them. They're not, they're not, they're, they're worse than humans to you, right? These, these, these Germans are so atrocious people that they're doing awful things to, um, others that like, they don't, they don't earn your respect. They don't earn your remorse. They don't earn your, your hesitation. Um, they're so evil. See, but this all ties together because that same Nazi that Upham was trying to protect... He ends up doing the same thing. He ends up fucking that dude up right at yeah. the end because literally they knew all of the other soldiers are like, you're just going to let this fucking Nazi walk. He's just going to end up finding more Nazis and getting back into circulation. And that's exactly what happens. And that's when it all clicks for Upham. And he's like, you motherfucker. Like, yeah. I went to bat for you. You're just going to go back and join your people and just keep killing us? Like, fuck you, dude. Yeah. And I was, I was going to get there eventually was... Through all of Upham's, uh, like, innocence, the war breaks it. Oh, yeah. You can't be innocent going through a war. Definitely. Like, you lose all sense of innocence. And that's something that's, like, also why we've always referred to him as the greatest generation is the, the soldiers who were 18 and went into World War II. They lost all sense of innocence. They lost all sense of youth. And they came back just hardened motherfuckers. These dudes were younger than we are. Straight up. And then they came back and they just went, hey, like, shit fucked me up, but I got to keep living. Like, I got to live for all the people who died for me. Mm-hmm. And that's also one of the major, major, major storylines of this entire show. Because that's what Tom Hanks says, like, mm-hmm. Captain Miller says to Private Miller at the very end. He's like, earn this. Make it worth it. Yeah, make make our sacrifices worth it. Like, you need to go on and live for the rest of us. And I think that's a, a very, like true staple of how that war actually was is it's you live on for the people who couldn't continue living because they sacrificed for you definitely and one of those interesting things about this movie is it doesn't explain any of it it just just says i hope i earned it he talks to his wife did i earn it am i a good man and she's just like yeah yeah we don't we don't actually see anything we don't we don't see did he earn it i don't know you don't know anything after he got back from war like all you know is he has a family all we see is his emotions straight up did I earn it? I hope I earned it. He has survivor's guilt. Like, he doesn't, like, he, there is no, there is no answer. Did he earn it? We don't know. 
No one knows. He could have gone back and just been like a muffler salesman or something. Like, yeah. dude, you didn't earn it on that, but at least you got to live a full life. We didn't, we didn't actually get a C. Did he earn it? But we still question that. I mean, who knows? He might have gone and invented that longer-lasting light bulb that they were talking about. Maybe. It's a, it's a little crazy, but, I mean, there's so much within this uh, film that you can just kind of take and go on so many different tangents with and like there's so much that you can dissect within this film but like overall for anyone who's in film school trying to learn more gain references as to like why they should watch a film like this there's so many different takeaways that you could really bring up that you could take away yourself and implement into any of your storytelling techniques like a lot of the camera movement for how they shot the war scene and all of the different um you know character growth techniques and investing the audience into the film yeah, I would say um, to wrap it up, maybe what are what are two things that you think someone can take away from this film and learn about from it, and then I'll grab two of my own things after that. Two two little things doesn't have to be really detailed. Just kind of like just quick little. This is what you should take away from this movie. Uh, why is it so? Why is it so important? Also, why is it uh, Oscar winning? Why is it so good? Yeah, I mean, God, for the most part, like. One of the biggest takeaways is like if you can create such a long form content and have it not feel like it's dragging or you're just sitting through it and you keep the viewer engaged like i've said that over and over through the course of this talk but like dude that's one of the biggest things for me is like if you're going to create content create it so it's entertaining and you hook the viewer like you don't want especially in today's day and age where some things go straight to streaming or all of that and you're not in a theater like if someone ever picks up their phone in the middle of your film that's death, dude. Like, yeah. you need to be doing better to keep people from wanting to have to check another outlet to get their entertainment. Yeah. So my question for you is, what are what is one or two things that this film does that? How does it? How does this film do that? I mean, obviously it creates, like, such humanized characters and it invests you in the storyline of each individual character, not just the group. Like, you're invested in each character. Like, the sniper, he has such an interesting personality and he's clearly like a Midwestern or a Southern guy and he's like, God bless me with like the ability to be a sharp shoot, sharp shooter and all of that. But like when it comes to him being in that eagle's nest and he just gets fucking blown up, like his last words were telling his buddy to get to cover. And like that's something that like really hits, you know, mm-hmm. and it's I'm invested in even just these side characters that only get like 10, 20, 30 minutes of screen time out of the whole film. Yeah. Um. So you're so one of your things is humanized characters yeah humanized characters characters. a clear form of like character development especially with upham it's like i've clearly said i thought upham was for like the entire film but he has those redeeming qualities at the end that really flips the script for you for him and i really wish it did something to show like upham made it out of there because he had to have like you know he was just like collecting the nazis as they're all trying to retreat so like he clearly survives but i want to kind of know what happened to him Anyways, that's like a bit of a flip the script kind of thing, but um, um, one of my takeaways from this film, as somebody can learn from and understand, make make a better movie from looking at examples, is one of the things I would say is the shaky cam. Mm-hmm. Shaky cam it out. Shaky cam's not always good. A lot of time, people don't like it, but this movie used it correctly. Yeah, using the using the camera as its own sense of character. Yeah, that is exactly. such a great technique, exactly. especially for something like this. Use the camera as a character, which can be shaky, make you feel like you're in it, but don't use the shaky camera for the sake of shaky camera. 
Don't just use it because you want to be cheap and you want to be like, oh, I want to make it action-packed and I'm going to shake the camera. No. Uh, a bad example of shaky camera is someone trying to hide gore and violence with a shaky camera. Do something else more interesting. Mm-hmm. Don't just try to, don't just shake the camera to make it harder to see stuff. That's not entertaining. Shake the camera to add emotion and energy to the scene, right? Yeah, like, just like the D-Day scenes. Like with that's an example, I would say. with the shaky camera, it's someone rocking freehand. They weren't rocking an easy rig or anything like that. It's someone moving and running along with these characters as they're going through the beach, and that's what creates that realistic view. And one thing that this film does a really good job of is everything that they do is intentional. It's yeah. nothing feels half-assed. Nothing feels like it's partially done. Everything is done with intention, and I think that's something that like really creates like a unified look and feel towards a movie. Um, obviously this movie has a massive budget and most of the people listening to this won't be able to have those massive budgets on their films. But I would say another thing to take away from it, uh, regardless of how big your budget is, always make an effort to make conscious choices, like you said, about art design, clothing, those kinds of things. Those are gonna make your thi- those are gonna make your world feel so much more real. Yeah. Even if even if you don't have the crazy budgets to add a bunch of stuff, rebuild like a whole time period. Make those constant choices. Am I just gonna shoot in my bedroom and leave everything how it is, or is am I gonna, or am I specifically gonna pick little things to take out because that wouldn't fit this character? Yeah, and I mean Make those conscious choices. Take a page out of 1917's book. Like they went all in on character set design, all of that, or I guess not set design, but like wardrobe and everything like that. And then they just chose to shoot in like mostly open fields because that's a lot of what the war was, was people crossing those fields. And we see that a lot in Saving Private Ryan. And that's a way that you can keep it within that same realm because if the characters are in a period appropriate wardrobe, it keeps you in that feel and you can do it with less of a budget. Yeah. Uh, You shouldn't notice that they're wearing something specific. It should feel right. Absolutely. It shouldn't stand out, I guess. Mm-hmm. It is more or less the main thing. Exactly. Um, Why well, I say, in the end, I think this movie is a really good watch. Absolutely. I couldn't uh, recommend it to more people. Yeah, I don't really care who you are. I don't care if you don't love action movies. I don't care if you don't love war movies. This is not a war or an action movie. This is a story about people mm-hmm. and how their lives are affected by big things. Um, It happens to be action-packed and take place during a war but i wouldn't necessarily call this specifically a war movie it's more of a, a movie it's a movie that's during the time period of yeah war. it's a movie that's during a war i don't it's know character driven it's definitely it's definitely a war movie let's be honest if yeah. it's in a category it's a war movie but it's not about the war it's about the characters and i think that's really interesting yeah and it's it's they're not doing anything for the sake of doing anything it's all with intention and i think that's probably my biggest takeaway for this and like honest to god if you had to rate this movie one out of ten what's you going with you know that's really hard because i want to say okay in the how about this then out of any war movie or any movie that's based in the 1940 to 44 time time range yeah um it's probably still my favorite really yeah movie I think I think I might say Band of Brothers beats it, but that's a miniseries. That is a miniseries. But they're so close to each other. Uh, I think Saving Private Ryan is definitely my, my favorite war movie. It's the movie I could go back and watch the most out of war movies. I could I could watch it the most. It's in my top three. It's not the top, but it's in my top three. 
Really? Yeah. Number one overall, I'd probably have to give that to Pearl Harbor. That was just such a great story. Really? Yeah. I really enjoyed it. And I watched it when I was, like, really, really little, too, so I thought it would have, like, fucked me up, but it actually just, like, I don't know, it got me really into it, and that's how I got into the the war movies as a genre. Yeah. People don't really say Pearl Harbor is that great of a movie, so it's interesting that you like that. Well, I really enjoyed it. Later. Yeah. Well, we'll maybe do an episode on that one later on, but honestly, for as far as, like, length of movies go, I don't know if I really want to sit down and watch that one again. Yeah. Uh, but I'd say this is probably top one or two. Yeah, you can watch this one over and over again, and you're not going to get sick of it. It's a different story every time. Yeah, Saving Private Ryan is a really good movie. If you haven't seen it, which would be kind of wild if you haven't, um, you should. There's a lot to learn about it, uh, filmmaking-wise, and there's also just a lot to learn about it. Uh, I would I would even say screenwriting, dialogue. Absolutely. There's so many different elements that you could do an entire, like, semester-long class about this film and break it down into all sorts of subgenres and all sorts of different categories and be able to cover it with all of the content. Yep. Like, this is by far and large one of the best as far as, like, storytelling within a certain time period. It just hit the mark on every single thing, and I think that's something that's rarely done. Like, some things can really do it from time to time, but it's one of the most well-rounded movies I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Um. Well... This was a good conversation about Saving Forever Ryan, I'd say. Sure. Would also say so. So I guess uh, I guess it's time for our uh, little wrap-up here. So Definitely. Um, so thanks for sticking around and talking about uh, Saving Forever Ryan with us. Yeah. Um, our next movie that we are talking about is... Uh, you put me on the spot like that. Like, yeah, I would know. Because I was, I was going to forget. I think it's The Jazz Singer. Is it The Jazz Singer? Yeah, it's either Jazz Singer or M. Should we but, but we're taking it out. No, just watch both of those at some point. We're going to do it on both eventually. But if you guys just feel like watching some extra content, go ahead and check those out in advance. Anyways, I just wanted to say this has been a really good start to what might be a, a pretty fun thing that we keep going on for quite a quite a long time. So for sure. For sure. I'm going to hit the outro real quick. Do it. All right. So this has been theater cleaners with todd luther and dominic scalise this has been a 12 midnight podcast we've been talking about saving private ryan thank you again for sticking around to hear us just chat back and forth and talk about why we enjoy this film dom any closing remarks no not really all right thanks for watching guys yeah tune into the next episode when it's either the jazz singer or m we're taking it back in in time to a little further uh, film history and actually talking about some of our roots and what we had learned in school and most likely have forgotten by now so it'll be a fun thing for us to explore definitely till next time all right it's later <laughs>